Everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament. And today we are in John chapter 6, which is one of the most important chapters uh, in this entire gospel account. This chapter is a major turning point in chapters 2 through 12 as it reveals the identity of Jesus as one sent from the Father. It graphically distinguishes belief and unbelief through the illustration of eating Christ's flesh and blood, and it chronicles the growing rejection motivated by unbelief that began to confront Jesus. The signs of this chapter call to mind correspondence saving events in the history of Israel, and they indicate that Jesus fulfills the typology of the Passover, the Exodus, and the provision of food in the wilderness. So let's go ahead and read this, and we'll kind of just go kind of main section by section. Beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was so much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had given the, had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed, the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew himself to the mountain by himself. All right, let's go ahead and stop here and we'll kind of make some comments on this main section. All right, so Jesus leaves Jerusalem and he travels to the far side of the Sea of Galilee around the time of the Passover. And this feast was established back in Exodus 12 to commemorate how God had passed over the Israelites and killed the Egyptians uh, to usher in the Exodus. Now, the Old Testament passages read during the Passover in Jesus' time probably included Genesis 1 through 8, Exodus 11 through 16, and Numbers 6 through 14. And there are strong similarities between these texts and Jesus' comments throughout this discourse in John 6. So, in other words, Jesus' discourse in John 6 is directly tied to the function and nature and the scriptures which would have been read during this Passover period. So it goes over by the Sea of Tiberias, which was just another name of the Sea of Galilee in honor of the town of Tiberias, which Herod had built a few years earlier. And we are told that there, John had, or that Jesus had begun to uh, conduct miracles and things like that. And the signs of his miracles are going out uh, and people are hearing about them. And so large crowds are starting to really begin to accumulate around Jesus because of his specific signs. We're told there that Jesus goes up to the mountain, you know, and I think once again, this is a clear connection back to that Old Testament language, a picture of how Moses went up on Sinai to receive revelation from the Lord. 
Nevertheless, right, Jesus goes up upon the mountain there, and, and, and there he is with his disciples. He is the one bringing new revelation. When, when Moses went up to Sinai, he received the law, right? And here, Christ is on the mount giving people new revelation. That is the revelation of himself, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And there he begins to have compassion on the crowds, right? And so he sees them, and he, he starts saying, hey, what is it going to require to feed these? And, and Philip says, listen, it would, it would cost a lot. And not only that, but even if we had tons of denarii, we'd still only be able to get barely any just to feed people, you know, nothing but basically crumbs. And then Andrew, right, Simon Peter's brother, says, hey, you know, here's, here's, a, here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, Probably coming home from the market, that was probably his family's dinner. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Hey, hey, son, can you give a, Jesus needs your bread and fish, um, what that would have been like. May we have the same faith of that boy who was able to turn over the little that he had to Jesus. Uh, because, man, what, what Jesus does with it is absolutely remarkable. And so then we see this incredible reality of how Jesus has him sit down blesses the bread, then he begins to multiply it. And as the disciples are passing out this food, this bread, literally it just keeps multiplying to the point that every one of those 5,000, all of the people there are fed. Every one of them are fed till they are full. And they're fed so much that there's even leftovers. And guess exactly how many leftovers are. There are 12 baskets full. And how many disciples were there? There were 12. In other words, right, when you, are, when you live in faithful service to the Lord, giving all that you have to Him, you can be sure there will always be leftover for you. There will always be leftover for you. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is important, right? Because it's going to be a lived-out parable of a reality that He is going to teach in just a moment regarding the fact that He is the bread of life. But it's also important because Jesus here from the mountain is bringing food to the multitude just as Moses has did in the wilderness. So just as Moses that God had used to call down manna from the heavens, Jesus here is now providing the manna. In other words, rather than God sending manna from heaven, Jesus is actually being the one providing the manna himself as he multiplies the bread. And so he is now the one feeding the people. He is the greater Moses has come, which is why people said, this indeed the prophet who is to come in the world. That is to say, the prophet like Moses, the one whom Moses had foretold of, a greater prophet other than me will come, right? Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. And so here Jesus is feeding them a clear reality that that he indeed has come to usher in a greater Passover, a greater Exodus, a greater provision for God's people. And notice what they want to do. They want to come and make him king, right? The kingship of the Messiah. They were going to make him their political ruler. But Jesus understood, right, that their desires were wrong. What they wanted, the king they wanted, would not have been the king they needed. The kingship of the Messiah was going to be spiritual. His kingdom would be not of this earth, but a greater kingdom, a cosmic kingdom, a universal kingdom. Not over just a little strip of land, 
but over an entire cosmos. As he would be king of kings and lord of lords. But there would be no crown without the cross. And Jesus knew this. So their rejection of him was never that the Jews never wanted to make him king or, you know, whatever. We see clearly they did. But they wanted to make him the wrong kind of king. Without the cross, there could be no true crown. And so Jesus withdrew himself to the mountain again. And then we see this next amazing uh, miracle. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So here this miracle of walking on the water is both recorded in Matthew 14 and Mark 6 as well. And it should not be confused with the calming of the storm found in Matthew 8, Mark 4, and Luke 8. So Jesus calms the storm in one situation where he speaks to the wind and waves to be still, and they are. This time Jesus is literally walking on the water, right? He's walking on the water, and it wants to make clear this isn't just shallow water. They're three to four miles out to the sea here, and so this is deep water. This is a miracle that is happening, and there they are in the midst of the storm, right? And and here Jesus comes in this amazing sign that only his disciples get to see there in the boat, and they are seeing this amazing reality of his absolute ability to transcend gravity, that the the laws of nature do not apply to him as he walks over the sea. And literally, not only that, but this powerful transportation, right, that they are all of a sudden right at the land they were going. I mean, this is amazing. It says that then they were glad to take him in the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I mean, I I don't know what this looked like, and I'm not going to pretend to say that I know. Whether it was just some some transportation, whether it was um, that literally that Christ brought a a wind that carried them right to the shore. I I don't know. Um, Nevertheless, the whole point here is that as they were frightened out in the midst of the storm, there Christ showed up, and he got in the boat with them. And that is what took away their fear and made them glad, that Christ is in the boat. And if Christ is in the boat, it doesn't matter. You're right where you need to be if Christ is with you. And I love this little interjection because this almost seems like it doesn't belong in this story because how great would it have been to literally just go right from the feeding of the 5,000 to Jesus' discourse on him being the bread of life. But instead you get this little walk on the water. And I think that's so important because these two texts are so important, right? When you're struggling in life, Christ will always give you exactly what you need. When you're serving faithfully for him, he will give you what you need. There will always be leftovers for you. And when you are in fear, and afraid of the storms that you're in, there Christ will always show up. He will always be there on time. And so there will always be left over for you, and He will always be there for you in your need. 
I think that's why these two little these miracles exist, not only to tell us greater truths of, of the nature of Jesus himself, but also exactly what it is that he provides for his people, both provision and presence. Verse 22, into this beautiful discourse. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to, to, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not the Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless... You eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood and abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. All right, so let's stop here for a moment. Okay, so this is a lot, but it is a powerful and amazing discourse here. I mean, this really is incredible, right? So the crowds are confused because they're trying to figure out how did Jesus get to this? Like, how did he get there? They're, they're, they're still confused by this reality of how he showed up here. And so they're asking him, you know, how, where did you come from? And I love this question. Immediately in verse 26, Jesus says, Listen, you're not here because you actually want to see me. You're not here because you want to actually know me. You're here because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you ate because you're you're back here because you want bread. You want me to do you want me to provide another meal for you. And Jesus points to the spiritual meaning of it, right? He's saying in verse 27, "Why do you labor for food that perishes?" right? You're coming here and you've gone out of your way to travel just so that you can get loaves of bread when you ought to be seeking something greater, a food that ultimately doesn't perish, but a food that that lasts forever, right? This is so important. You need to seek the true bread from heaven. You see, they expected that the coming of the Messiah would be marked by a miracle as greater, greater than the giving of manna in the desert. And Jesus is saying a greater Miracle has happened, right? The, 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 the wilderness, the bread that was given in the wilderness, it perished. And your fathers who ate it, they perished. Notice something else that happened in the wilderness, right? The Lord provided the manna in the wilderness, and it had to be, it had to be eaten then. It, it couldn't be stored. Why? Because it would perish. It would rot we see that that's exactly what happened when we go back and read those accounts. It, it, it could only last a day. It could only last on the basis that when God provided it. And that in and of itself is just such a great picture of the old covenant in any ways. The old covenant was temporary. It was not meant to last. It was not meant to be eternal. It was meant to point to something greater that could last and be eternal. And so just like that manna that was in the wilderness would ultimately perish, but it could only sustain temporarily, so too was the law. It was temporary and meant to sustain God's people temporarily until a greater Moses came, until greater manna came. And Jesus is saying, He has come. He has come. I I love what they say here in verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Uh, It's almost mind-blowing. They've literally come because they know that he has just produced like miracle bread. 
He has just created bread out of nothing, basically. He took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 men, probably countless more men and, uh, children and women. This is remarkable, right? And Jesus is saying, you're missing it. They, he, he's telling them, listen, a, a greater bread has come, bread that gives eternal life. And they say to him, right, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the first of seven I am sayings in this gospel. He is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. That word I am, the name of God from Exodus 3.14, it's an implicit claim to deity. He says, everyone who eats of me, partakes of me, will never hunger and never thirst again. And yet Jesus says, but you don't believe. And then he explains to them what is required. What is required to not just see physical blessings in Jesus, but to see through him. To see through him to the greater things that he has provided. Not just physical blessing, material things, bread. He's not just another prophet, not another miracle worker. He is God incarnate. He is the bread of life. He is the sum and substance by which all eternal life is found. And the only way to know this is for the Father to have revealed it to you. To have been given to Christ by the Father for all that the Father has given him will come to him. And whoever comes to him, he will never cast out. The redemption of the elect, God's election, those whom he gave to his son in, in just mercy and grace for nothing, nothing more than that. No other reason than God's immense grace and mercy and the basis of his will and purposes has he given Christ an innumerable multitude of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation by which to believe upon Christ and to see Him and savor Him as the bread of life by which they will forever be sustained. A bread that never perishes, never molds, never gets old, never, never goes away, but one that continually sustains and endures the people of God, both in their wilderness journey now and for all eternity. Jesus makes it clear the only way to properly understand the nature of what he is saying is for the Father to reveal it. And the reason that they don't believe is because in that moment at least, the Father has not made it known to them. They cannot see it. And unless the Father gives them to Christ, unless he opens their eyes to see the way that he will, the disciples, which we will see very clearly in Peter's statement in a moment, they will never be able to behold the fullness and glory of Christ as the bread of life. This is hard for them. It is a hard saying that the only ones who can believe are those whom the Father has given him. It is a hard saying that Jesus would consider to call God the Father and say that he is from him. And so the Jews begin to grumble. And they grumble all the more when Jesus begins to talk about only those who eat his flesh and blood can be saved. Only those who eat Him can be sustained forever. And once again, their fleshly mind 
cannot get past these physical pictures and rather they can they can't see the spiritual realities behind them this is in no way Christ articulating transubstantiation none of that he is teaching them a glorious spiritual truth that only in partaking of him in feasting upon him as the bread of life as 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 going after him consuming him and and longing for him can one have eternal life one must partake of his his broken body for us that which he has broken and, and and his blood which he sheds for us the blood which ushers in the new covenant these are the realities that we must feast on and we do so spiritually by faith we are spiritually nourished by Christ when we come to the lord's supper we are not eating the physical body and blood of jesus christ no we are eating bread and wine and what we are eating in that moment is by faith as we look through those elements to the glories of Christ's broken body and poured out blood for our sake we are spiritually nourished by the spiritual presence of Christ as we look through those elements in faith to the glories of Christ who is the bread of life and whose blood is the blood of the new covenant many people hear this and they turn away and we see that in this closing portion verse 60 when many of his disciples heard it they said this is a hard saying who can listen to it but jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this said to them do you take offense at this then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, "This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father." After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, "Do you want to go away as well?" Simon Peter answered him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of God." Jesus answered them, "Did I not choose you the 12? And yet one of you is the devil." He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. for he one of the 12 was going to betray him the word of the lord thanks be to god here we've seen that jesus here has continued to misunderstand his statements taking them on a purely physical level understood literally what jesus said would have been highly objectionable since it would involve cannibalism and the use of blood that was strictly forbidden in the law And Jesus's use of in the of the language of eating and drinking to illustrate the intimacy of union between Christ and the believer this spiritual union by which Christ imparts new life to the believer is portrayed later in the gospel as the union of a vine and branch it is sometimes called the mystical union a recurrent topic that's found in Paul's letters and though some see a reference to the Lord's supper a mention of that sacrament uh w- would not have been fully in any way comprehensible to the readers as the lord had not given the lord's supper yet at this point nevertheless it would be after that fact that we could go back 
and look to this text and see its fuller and greater meaning. Many of his disciples took offense to this and they left him. They walked away. They refused to listen to Jesus' explanation and in doing so were unwilling to to accept the message of salvation by grace. And Jesus made it very clear The reason that you can't do this is because only those who have been given by the Father, only those who it has been revealed to by the Father, can come to Jesus. And we see that perfectly in the words of Peter. It is impossible for anyone to come to Christ without the enabling call of God. But Peter then gives us an example. (laughs) That is not hopeless. The Lord looks to Peter and he says, Are you guys going to go? And Peter says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is a crucial turning point in the gospel. Many disciples together with the crowds reject Christ in unbelief, while his remaining disciples, exemplified by Peter's confession, deepen their faith in him. As the world walks away from Christ, who will you go with? Will you go with the crowds? who see his words, his realities as too unreasonable? Or will you stand with Peter and the other apostles who stayed? Those who were faithful, not the son of perdition who was called for a specific purpose, but the faithful disciples, who along with Peter said, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Don't go anywhere else today. The world will offer you many competing narratives but none of them can provide you eternal life. Look to Jesus, the living water, the bread of life, the incarnate word of God. He has the words of eternal life. So pray that the Lord would open your eyes, open your ears to hear the words of the good shepherd, to follow him forever, knowing that he will provide perfectly for you and that he will always be there for you in your hour of need. That's what John 6 is all about. And the glorious reality that you have seen Jesus, you have partaken of Jesus, you rest in Jesus, you have eternal life in Jesus, all because your gracious Father in heaven loved you chose you on the basis of nothing more than his goodness and his mercy and has made you his own by giving you to Jesus to be his bride, to be redeemed, and to have eternal life forever nourished by the living bread, Jesus Christ. God bless.